you take you the first yawn, the first stretch? Was it the was it after your first cup of tea, your first sip of the coffee? Uh, was it after your cigarette? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what was? How long does it take you to wake up? And uh, you know, I'm often amused by the quote from uh, Laura Preble. She said, "There are worse things than looking stupid." She says, "Sleeping through life is one of them." And very often it takes us a long time to wake up. And some people go to work like they're still asleep. And some, pe some people work like they're fully awake. And, you know, the theme of being awake is something that I felt this week, that even though the church is in the situation she's in, the nation she's in, actually the nation's in the situation, and the nations are in the situation they're in, we need to be fully awake God's expecting us to be fully, fully awake. And let's just go to jo Jonah, chapter one. Jonah. There's a there's a guy we've not heard of for a long time. <clears throat> Jonah. And the title of this morning is Dis the discovery of knowing God. That's how that we've been looking at the discovery of knowing God. But I want to title it. Wake up. The discovery of knowing God. Wake up. We must wake up. So did we come to church this morning to hear another message or did we come to church to meet with God? And that's, you know, the answer really should be both. We came on Zoom this morning to to meet with God. And by meeting with God, we hear what God wants to say to us. So just just as we're in this place, just close your eyes. if you will. I'm going to open up in prayer. I'm going to ask the father to to fill your room right now, wherever you are, whatever you're watching from, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to fill your room, fill your mind, fill your heart with the peace of God. And Father, I pray that you would impact our hearts, not just our heads, but our hearts will be fully awake to the word that you've got for us this morning. Lord, because I believe the word that you've given me for your people this morning, Lord, is the word of the Lord. And therefore, Lord, before I minister the word, Lord, I, I dedicate this word to you first and minister it to you. <clears throat> Lord, believe in, Lord, that as you minister, as I minister this word, this word will come straight into the hearts of those who will receive in it. So, Father, I pray clear a pathway in the spirit so the word can land into into the hearts and minds of those tuning in to heaven this morning. Father, I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to mute yourself. If you're not on mute, please put yourself on mute. Because <clears throat> I can hear someone noise in the background. I don't know who it is, but anyway, I've asked you. So you only you know who's, who you are or whose you are. And let's go to Jonah 1. It said, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So it was a good thing when the word of the Lord comes to us. But then there's a response needed when the word of the Lord comes to us. So if the word of the Lord comes to you this morning, God is looking for a specific response. So it's not it's no good just to hear the words. We have to have a response. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, God wants to shake the city of Nineveh and he puts a message inside a man. And he tells the man to go to Nineveh and preach because I'm going to bring a shaking. I want, that, I want you to put that in your mind, that there's, there's a shaking that uh, God is going to bring in this story. But there's a shaking that God's bringing to the nations. 
Let's pick it up. Verse three. But Jonah ran away. Isn't that typical? God asked him to do something. And the response is, but Jonah runs away. He runs away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Can you imagine this? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Wow. That is a heavenly divine shaking when everything around you is threatening to break up. But notice who's behind it. God is behind it. All the sailors were afraid and each of them cried out in his own to his own God. It's amazing right now around the nation and the nations of the world. There are different religions crying out to their God. For what's happening in the, in the earth now, only they know the power of their God. We know the power of our God, but it's, it's up to each individual religion to seek the power of their God. Now, we know there's only one God, but they don't know that. But it won't stop them calling on their God. So verse five, and all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and fell in a deep sleep. Now, what kind of guy goes to sleep when everything around him is in utter chaos? Things have been thrown off the ship to lighten the load. People are crying out to their God. And this guy goes downstairs and switches off and goes to sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Which is a fair question to ask. How can you sleep? Uh, get up and call on your God. And maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. A heathen man calls on him to call out to his God. And maybe your God, in other words, one God might, there may be one God out there who can answer the prayers of this ship. And stop this ship from going down. Now, I want you to keep that analogy in your head. There's a man on board. He's been told to go to a city to preach the message. He runs the other way. He's now on a ship. He's now going to sleep. Everything around him is going to hell in a, in a handbasket, so to speak. People are freaking out. People don't know what day it is. They don't know what's going to happen. They fear for their lives. They call out the calling out to their God in desperation. And yet there is one who knows God, who's received the word of God, who hears God. And yet he is asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome you to the church. That's exactly where the church is right now. In the nations of the world. She is asleep. And when I say the church, I mean, every one of us, we're all part of the church. So it's not a specific church. It's not a Baptist church. It's not a Methodist church. Though there are churches alive, I'm talking about the, the church globally seems to be asleep. The nations, the nations haven't shaken. The wind and the waves of uh, economies are being blown to and fro. People are throwing things overboard so there's jobs being laid off people are fear, fearful and so people are acting and, and reacting to the to the moment of the, of the hour <clears throat> people are on the streets demonstrating there's all kinds of turmoil and yet there is a group of people who have who have the answer who was found asleep while everyone's panicking now there's two ways you can look at it you can say well i'm asleep because i've got the perfect peace of god and i'm asleep around chaos but that was not the case here he wasn't in perfect peace. He was in rebellion. 
because he didn't go and do the very thing that God told him to do. So he says, wake up. And here's the, here's the, the challenge to us this morning. Wake up. In what areas do you and I need to wake up? Go Call on your God. Can you imagine that? Wake up and call on your God. It's a time for you and I to wake up and call on our God. If your God's in Zoom, then, you, then you're going to be in trouble. If your God is in YouTube, you're going to be in trouble. If your God is in a CD, you're going to be in trouble. Wherever your God is, if he's not inside your heart, then you're going to find trouble. And the challenge here is wake up, call on your God. Call on your God and maybe he will take notice. Not maybe, because we know the scripture tells us that if the people who are called by my name will humble themselves and call out to God, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now, it's up to the nation, each individual nation, the church in that nation to call on their God so that God can begin to cry uh, so that we can begin to cry out and God will heal our land. It starts with our town. It starts, it starts with our city, starts with our nation. And it starts from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the other ends of the world. It's got to start with where you can influence first. So like Laura Preble said, you know, there are worse things than looking stupid. And one of them is sleeping through life. You know, we must not be found sleeping through life. It's a very, very dangerous thing in the spirit to be found falling asleep. We're meant to be watchmen. We're meant to be proactive people. And even though we're in lockdown, our prayers are not in lockdown. Prayer does not have to be locked down. Your heart, no one's locking your heart down. Now, as the longer lockdown goes on, people psychologically, emotionally begin to be affected by the containment that lockdown can bring. And people get uh, frustrated. Now, hear me, church. I'm talking this morning by the word of the Lord to you. Each one of us has to guard our heart and mind from becoming depressed. Because the moment your movement is restricted psychologically, emotionally, it begins to affect. And it begins to drive and take a hold of you and drive you. And it begins to drive the hope and the faith that is in you out of you so that you become like the rest of the people around you. And then you become in despair and then you lose hope. And then you think it's all going, the world's going to hell. The world is not going to hell in a handbasket, not as long as you and I are on it. That's why God puts you and I here. If there was no Christians on the earth, the earth would have no hope. But God's put you as a light and me as a light. And the first thing you have to guard, the first kingdom you have to guard is your heart and mind. Never mind taking the kingdom of darkness. Never mind taking the kingdom of God. Take the kingdom that's inside of you because everything inside of you has to speak. And if you're asleep, then the church has no forward momentum. You know, um, we are sat here as we speak right now, politically and economically, the nations are being shaken. They are being shaken. Make no bones about it. They are being shaken. And with the nations being shaken comes the threat of redundancy, the threat of change, the threat of close down, the threat of marginalization. And people are pulling back. So people change the plans. People don't invest the same. 
People don't operate the same. And all on all of it then begins all the decisions and actions that people make all seem to be made around fear. And uncertainty. And we've got to be very careful that it does not come inside our boat. We have to be very, very careful that these things. Now, when you listen to the news, oh, man, I, I get so angry with the news because everything's loaded. Everything's projected in a certain way to leave you with a certain feeling. And, and you would do well, guys, you would do well to guard your heart from the news because it's loaded. And if you do, be careful whose report you will you believe? Because they have a job to, to, to report the news. But who said you had to listen to it? You choose what you get to listen to, not them. So, you know, in the 1930s or 1929, there was a time called the Great Depression. The Great Depression. And this was a shaking that had taken place in America and right across Europe. And it shook the nations politically and economically. And in the UK, they didn't call it the Great Depression. They call it the Great Slump. The Great Slump. And it affected Britain again, like it affected America and, and, and Europe. It affected them. There was large queues, people queuing up. And, you know, the nations were in in a slump and they were in a mess. And yet, guys, and yet, now notice this. The nations politically, economically were in a slump. And yet, what was God doing with the church? I'll tell you what God was doing in the church in the 1930s. God was doing with the church what God is doing with the church today. He was waking the church up. I'll tell you what, what happened in the 1930s. A move of God came on the nation called Azusa Street, where the baptism of the spirit came out. And men such as uh, Joseph Seymour. Now, note this. When the baptism of the spirit came uh, began to hit the earth, it began to break out in the black community and the whites resisted the move of God because God started it with the black people. Now, that's interesting. <clears throat> it's interesting because here we are in 2020 and we have the blacks crying on the streets for Black Lives Matter. And there's a move within this to for the nations to listen to the cry of a people. And as the streets, now it's not just it, it's not just black people. All nations are, all, are on the streets and behind this move are saying black lives really do matter. And there's a cry for liberation and, and there's, a, there's a cry for acknowledgement and equality and, 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 a, and a cry for, hey, come on, wake up. Here we are in the 20th, 21st century and we're still involved with racism. It's time for a change. And there's a cry on the street. And yet, what can you imagine if the church would have gone on the street and the church would have been at the forefront of that move? And yet here's God bringing uh, uh, it to our doorsteps that, hey, bring an end to this thing. Bring an end to slavery. Bring an end to racism inside your own heart. No one's going to do it for you. Marching on the street is not going to do it. Why? Because it lives inside each individual. Each individual has to bring an end to this thing. It's the only way it comes to an end is when you and I make different choices. I don't need my prime minister to tell me that racism's wrong. I need to know. I don't need a preacher at the front to tell me racism's wrong. Man, if I need a preacher to tell me racism's wrong, man, what other things do I need the preacher for? 
I should know. And I have to make that decision in my heart when I'm in a when a when a car cuts in front of me and I notice there's a guy in the, in the car and he's black. Do it's the first thing I respond to is a black person. No, I've got to get a control of my own heart and bring some sanity into my own heart. Wake up. I don't need someone to tell me some things I should have already known. But here we are in the 21st century having to tell people things that they have heard before, but they've ignored. So in that 1930s, we saw a move in the church. And now in the 1920s, sorry, here we are in 2020, we see people on the street crying. So we see a move in the church. Now we see a move on the streets. And God was trying to wake the whole nation up to what was going on. And here in this move, people came from all over America. And then a white preacher called Billy Sunday comes in and he was the, and he got all criticized for going down to Azusa Street and being involved in this. Because at that time, America, well, not that time, it still is. But at that time, specifically, America was divided. And here we are today, still fighting that same battle. But yet the spirit of God chose the venue he chose the people he chose the time when the nation was in a slump a move of the holy spirit came to waken the nation up to the things of god and here we are in the 19 2020 and and god's doing the same thing again and then in the 1930s we saw men such as um nelson parr howard carter smith wigglesworth and as the baptism of the holy spirit began to move on the shores of britain the AOG denominations, Pentecostal, there was a move in the Pentecostal churches and they began to move right across Britain. And as, as the nation was in a slump, God begins to wake the nation up spiritually. So whatever you see a shaking and a slump, you see a move of God beginning to move on the same side, trying to waken the church up. Why? Because if, if there's no counterbalance, you remain in a slump. And God wakens the church up and wakens the nation up spiritually to show them that there is an answer, that the slump does not have to remain, that there is a God who is capable of delivering the people once they call out on his name. And once again, as the, na the nations find themselves economically, politically in a slump, God is beginning to move in his church and he's waking the church up to counterbalance what's happening. Because people need hope. And if a church is asleep, the nation has no hope. And you, you who's receiving this word this morning are the people who God has to use, wants to use, desires to use. You are the counteracting what God is going to, the counterbalance should say, that God is going to bring to address the slump. But it has to be addressed in you first. So let's go to... Um, well, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Excuse me a minute. We have to ask ourselves whether we are asleep or we're awake. And when you ask the church, when whenever there's a slump, whenever there's a depression, whatever word you want to call on it, you can call it change, you can call it shaking, you can call it depression, you can call it slump, you can call whatever you want, recession. The issue is, is when things like this happen on the ground, there are things that we, the church has to stand up and be accountable for. God will always expose the church in times like this. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is this. How well does, does uh, the Dream Center and the people in the Dream Center 
and those connecting with us, how well do we know our God? How well do we really know our God? Because if we don't know our God, then we're not the answer. We're part of the problem. And we have to make sure, guys, that we are the answer. We are not the problem. So, you know, in, in Revelation chapter three, you don't have to go there yet. But he asked a very question. He asked a very serious question. And you know what he, he accused the church of? He said, you have a reputation for being alive. He says to that church, you have a reputation for being alive. Dream Center, you have a reputation I've seen your website. I've seen your videos. I've seen your music. I've seen your preaching, blah, 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 blah. You have a reputation. You like to portray a reputation from multimedia that you are a church that's alive. And this is what he said. But you're dead. So many churches are giving false impressions. So many believers are giving false impressions on social media that they're fully alive when actually you're not. They're not. We have to be very careful. So the first question is, how how well do we really know our God? Second question is, what is the spiritual condition of our faith? What is the spiritual condition of our faith? In other words, are the believers living in full of doubt and fear? Or are they standing in faith? Because the one thing that Jesus looks for on the earth is faith. When I return, he said, the first thing I'm looking for, the Holy Spirit has his detector and it's called his faith detector. And he comes looking for where there's faith and in who that faith is in. This is all signs of you being awake and I being awake. So it's not going to church. It's what faith, what deposit is actually inside of you and me. God comes looking for that. Are they in fear? Are they in doubt or are they in faith? The third question is. Do believers, do the people in the dream center, and this, this question is just as important as the previous two, but I want you to think about this one. Do the believers in the dream center know the time they're living in? And do they know what needs to be done in this time? Do they know the time they're living in? And do they know how to respond to that time? This is a very significant question. You know, right now, everyone keeps telling us that we're in a time of recession. Everyone keeps telling us we're in a time of political unrest, but nobody seems to know what to do. Look at America right now. Look at America right now. She's upside down politically. And if she's upside down politically, she'll be upside down economically, spiritually and so on. And you'll see people telling you, defining you, thinking that the prophetic telling you what moment we're in. But if you don't know how to reverse engineer it, you're in trouble. We must be able to understand the time we're in and begin to reverse engineer as possible. Or if we can't reverse it, we can at least make movements to capitalize on our moment. Right now, we're told we've got to stay in, stay safe, wash your hands, respect the space, blah, blah, blah. And that would send a message, don't move. But spiritually, we can move because we're not bound. We can pray. We can call people. We can still 
Use this thing called social media to our advantage. Likes is not communication, by the way. Love is not communication. They're just emojis. They're not communication. Dialogue is what the world needs. Dialogue, not smiley faces, loves, a guy with sunglasses on. They're emojis. That's not communication. Is that how you say it? Emojis, emojis, and whatever it is. Anyway, let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And here's what it, 1 Peter has a message for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, picking it up at verse 5. I'll give you a second to find. One Peter chapter two, verse five. I trust you're receiving this word this morning into your heart. And I want you to see this in the context that it is being addressed. And that context is 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 I want you to read it because the context is speaking to you. He's speaking to you. He's not just speaking to us. He's speaking to you first. The, 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 the word has, is an anchor and it has to drop in someone's heart. So it drops in your heart first. And then if it drops in your heart and somebody else's heart and then there, then it becomes us. But it has to drop in your heart first. So he's speaking to you, the individual believer, because you with the individual has to take responsibility for what you read and for what you hear. So let's pick it up. He says, you also like living stones. So you're alive. You're a stone. You're a, you're a rock that that cannot be crushed. And he says this. You're being built into a spiritual house. No, the word being means it's ongoing. You've not have been built. You are being built. So it's a work that must continue. You're being built into a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood. Never forget this. God is building you to be a holy priesthood. And priest, a holy priesthood has a function. What part of that function is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him, the one or the ones who trust in him and do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them stumble and fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Now, this is why we stumble. This is why nations stumble. This is why churches are found asleep, because they stumble when they hear the message. They go backwards now, which is also what they were destined for. But you, but you, but you are a chosen people. In other words, you're not the same as everybody else. There is a distinction of two different types of people. There are those who was lost. But there's you. You're a chosen people, a holy nation. So you're not just a people. You're a holy nation. I'm going to talk to us not today about becoming a holy nation. A holy nation. You're not just a people. You're a whole. You're becoming a holy nation. God wants a nation. A people belonging to God. So he wants you. He wants you to become a holy nation and he wants you to belong to God. So that you may declare the praises. Now you go. Praises. When you've got praise moving on in your life, that shows you're alive. It shows you're awake. Praises. Of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, only a people of only a people who know their God can make such declarations, proclamation and celebration. Only a people who know their God can make a proclamation, a declaration and offer celebration. 
They're the signs of a church that's awake. They're the church of a sign. That's the sign of a church. And it's people who are not asleep because proclamations, declarations and celebration are all part of a people who's a priesthood becoming a holy nation who are offering things acceptable to God. That's the kind of church that God's looking for. So I want you to make a declaration this morning, just as you are right now. I want you, if you will, raise your hand up and just repeat after me, just so that you know you're awake. I am awake. Declare I am awake. I have been made fully alive in Christ Jesus. Come on, declare it like you believe it. I'm fully awake in Christ Jesus. I am a believer. Who believes, who thinks about what they believe and stands for what they believe. I am a chosen priesthood. I'm a holy nation. And I will declare the praises of my God. Irrespective of how I feel. I'm called out of darkness. I'm brought into his glorious light. And I must stay out of the darkness. That's a person who's awake. So go back to go to the book of Judges, if you will, please. Judges chapter 16. And I want to show you the dangers of people who are not fully awake. Judges chapter 16, and we're going to pick it up at verse 20. We're looking at Samson here. We've all got a feet, we've all got a, um, an aspect of Samson in us. We're meant to be strong, but we've all got our Achilles heel. We're all weak in one area, two areas. And if the enemy can find your weak area, he will target your weak area. And try and seduce you and put you to sleep. So we read it here in verse 20, Judges chapter 16, verse 20. And I'm picking up the story somewhat. Samson now has found Delilah and uh, she wants to know the secret of his strength and his success. And she keeps trying to uh, lure him and she, she sets him Prove your love to me, Samson. If you really love me, tell me the secret of your strength. And this goes on and on and on. It goes on three times. She tries to find out the answer. In this particular case, uh, time here, now I'm picking up with verse 20. Then she called Samson. The Philistines are upon you because now, like she did before, you know, he tells her what his secret of his strength is. And then she calls the Philistines and they come in. And each time she does that, Samson's so strong, he just knocks the Philistines out the way. And she starts getting more and more. Um, she takes the moral high ground. If you really love me, why'd you lie to me? And all the time she's trying to undo him. She's trying to, you know, uh, trade him. And here we see that this time she calls Samson. The Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought. I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines, the Philistines seized him. They gouged out, uh, gouged out of his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him there with bronze shackle, uh, shackles, they set him 
to grinding in the prison. Now, here's a man who was super strong. Here's a believer. Let's just let's put it in a context. Here's you, the believer, super strong. You have the power of Christ. You have the name of Christ. You have spiritual gifts. You have destiny. You have the seed. You are the seed of righteousness. You're a holy priest. You're a holy nation. You're unstoppable. And all of a sudden, the enemy comes along and tries to seduce you at the area, at the point that we can all be weakened at. And he comes in and he tries to undo your strength and find the secret of your strength. And he tries to undo you. Now, the first thing, Samson had fallen in love. Samson had fallen in love with Delilah. And this caused him to lose his focus. So let me ask you a question. What have you fallen in love with? What have you fallen in love with in this lockdown period? Has it been your TV? Has it been your YouTube? Has it been your, uh, your let's just say your, your crisps, your biscuits, whatever you've fallen in love with, which has uh, caused you to divert your focus? Be careful, guys, what you give your affections to. You can love your job so much that you give your whole devoted affection to your job and you wrongly proportion your love. In other words, you starve other people, you starve other areas of love and affection because you love this one thing so much that it gets all your attention. Now, it's one thing to love what you do. But it's another thing to make sure that life and love is balanced in other areas. I may love the ministry so much that I don't love Carol or give her attention. I may love the ministry so much that I don't give attention to my children or to you, the congregation. It's so easy to love something and yet be so lopsided in that love. Make sure your affections are put in the right areas and they are equally balanced. God needs your love. Your family needs your love. Your job needs an element of love because it's easier to work when you love something than it is to do when you despise it. So it's good that you love these things, but it's wrong if they're wrongly balanced. Secondly, Samson had become seduced by this love. That he had fallen asleep in Delilah's lap. Wow. You see, when your love and your affection is given in the wrong area, it causes you to fall asleep in the wrong area because you're so blind. It's almost like you're going, you're in love sleep. It's called love sleep. You don't see the, you don't see reality. You're so consumed. That you don't see what's going on around you. And this is what Delilah did. She consumed him to the point where he allowed himself to become vulnerable to the point where she seduced him and put him to sleep. That's what the enemy will do to you. Whose lap do you lie in? Whose lap do you lie in? Thirdly, Samson became careless with God and his relationship. It says here, but Samson got up, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. 
Guys, let me encourage you very, very clearly that if you think that in this lockdown, you can switch me on and switch me off. It's not me you're switching on and off. You don't come on if you don't come on Zoom this morning, that's fine. If you switch if you zoom in two weeks from now, that's fine. But you switching me on and off is not switching me on and off. You're switching God and his voice. I'm here. I'll be here by the grace of God. The issue is, is I don't know the condition of the people through Zoom. Only you know the condition of your own heart, but the father knows the condition of your heart. My job is to minister into your home at this point with this word, believing that the word that God's given me will do the very thing it's set out to do. But you, the receiver, if you're not in receive mode, then there's nothing I can do. But you only deceive yourself. So. You may feel like you're physically. Now, the thing is about Samson is this. Watch this. Not only did he get up and do what he thought he could always do. So he got so blasé with his routine. Some of you think you can come back to church 10 months, 12 months from now on and nobody will know the difference. We will know the difference. We will know the difference. Why? Because if you get up like you've always done and do the things that you thought you can always do and you've always done. And all of a sudden, the presence of God is no longer on your life like it once was. You'll end up doing things that will expose yourself. And this is what Samson did. Eventually, there's always those people who will expose themselves and they don't know they're doing it. And then Samson became physically blind. He got to the point where they captured him. They gauged his eyes out. So he had no spiritual blindness. Sorry, he had spiritual blindness. He had physical blindness. And now his strength's gone. He's blind. And they lead him out one day and they put him near the pillars. And eventually he calls out to God in his last moment. And he says, Lord, let me take the Philistines out. And it says of Samson that he, t- he killed more people in his last act than he did in all the times when he had his eyes and his strength. This is what happens when shakings come. And we found asleep. Our greatest moments are taken away from us. And they're written. That was never God's plan for him to to do that. That was never God's plan for him to be captured. But yet, because he he was seduced by this woman. Seduced by his love. Samson liked women. That was his problem. Because he was found before he fell in love with Delilah. He was found sleeping with prostitutes. So false love, false affections, wrong affections will always Bring the heart of a man down. I want to say man, I mean man and woman. So Romans 13, Romans 13. I hope you're picking this up. To stay awake, you have to live in a certain way. Romans 13 verse 10 says this. (coughs) Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Remember, love does no harm to its neighbor. Why? Because it's right love. The affections are going the right way. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now watch. And do this understanding the present time. So our love has to be used in a way 
that we understand the present time so we know exactly how to use our love and how to give it focus and who to give it the focus to. There's a present time and how love has to be administered. I want you to see this. Love has to love us, love us to cover a whole bunch of things, but it also has to understand the time it's living in. So it knows how to love and who to love at that right time. I don't know about you, but I can't love the whole world. Why? Because I'm not God. But I can love certain people that God puts in my heart and I, my, my affections are wrong. They can lead me to do the wrong action. And I can think I'm doing the right things, but they can lead me in the wrong places. And I don't understand the time I'm living in. So I don't know how to portion what I feel to the right people at the right time. How many times do fathers, when they should have been at home doing the right things with their children, were loving things somewhere else? And we need to put the love in the right place at the right time so that love gets the right results. You cannot be found giving your affections to the wrong people and call it Christianity. This is so, so important. So let's pick it up. Let's pick it up at th uh, verse 11 and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Wow. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. The moment you got saved, guys, now let's fast forward it on. Your salvation is nearer now than it was the day you first accepted it. So in other words, you're getting closer to Jesus. You're getting closer to meeting with him ultimately, but you should be meeting with him more and more frequently now because you know him. Now, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is almost over. So this is we must know the difference between night and day spiritually. You must know the difference between night and day, because if we're to know the present time, we must know when there's light to work in and when there's darkness. And we must know how to work in the night and we must know how to work in the day. Now, the thing about Israel, when she was led out of Egypt, God put the pillar of cloud in the day and the pillar of fire by night so that she was not hindered in her movement. She could keep moving. You need the fire of the Holy Ghost and you need the light of God's word. So we know which one we're using at the right time to the world. It looks like not dark. It looks like darkness has fell upon the world. That's why it's slumber. There's no light. People don't know what to do. They don't know how to get out of the hole they're in. But you and I must know it's day for us, but it's night for the world. Because we walk in the light. And if we walk in the light, it's never darkness for it's never dark uh, nighttime for us. But we can see this dark over there. So we can take our light into other people's darkness and lead them out. Arise, shine for your light has come to you. You must use the light. And if you've got if it's nighttime in your life, then there's no light. This is why we must stay in the light. This is why we must become that holy people, that priesthood. Walking in the light, celebration, proclamation, declaration. I hope this is ministering to you. And he says this, let us behave decently 
in the data as in the daytime not in orgies drunkenness not in sexual immorality debauchery not in dissension or jealousy they're the deeds that's done in the darkness all these things are still going on even in, in the time called slump and great depression why because people indulge because it's their only way out they want to feel good in a time of bad so they do all these things but what they think what they don't realize is that they do these things when times are good because this is part of human nature. Now, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is how we stay out of the dark and we stay in the light. Wake up, church. Put those things aside. Stand up to the challenge this morning because our salvation is nearer today than it's ever been. Our salvation is nearer today than it's ever been. For some of you, you've been Christians 10, 20, 30 years. Your salvation is nearer today than it's ever been. If you pass away tonight, you're in the presence of God. Your salvation is complete. But for those who don't pass away and carry on, your salvation's getting near. The clock is ticking down. The hour of fulfillment is getting near. We must keep awake. Stay awake. So Revelation chapter three, please just go there. We're going to try and bring this thing to an end. Revelation chapter three, listen to what he says to the church. To the angel of the church in Sardis, or let me rephrase that. To the angels inside the dream center in Drosden or to the believers I write these things. These are the words of him. Now, notice he makes his declaration of, of who these words are coming from. These words are coming from HQ. And he's addressing the church on the ground with the word that's come from HQ headquarters. As I'm doing it to you today, I believe this word is coming from HQ and I'm addressing it to the church on the ground. You, the dream center. So. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So he's painting this picture that if I'm giving you a message from HQ, I want you to know the full. I want you to know the nature and the character of the person who sends this message, who gives this message. I'm just a messenger. This angel was just a messenger, but he came from the one who we should know. This is knowing God. So he says this. He holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Then he says this. I know your deeds and you have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. There's something about to die. If we don't wake up. If we don't wake up and maintain what we've been given and push in and know God more, something is about to die on the life and the destiny of the dream center. Why do we think the destiny will continue if we're asleep? That will be our destiny. We can trade destiny en route and very easy. We can give ourselves over to the wrong things. Destiny is not a certain you have to stand it. Now, if you come on ADT, you'll understand the power of destiny. It has much more than you just think, well, God will fulfill it. God won't fulfill it. You have to fulfill it. 
And he says this, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds. So I, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. In other words, guys, I'm waking you to sh I'm shaking you to wake you because there's some things that I'm not pleased with and they're incomplete. And I need you to wake up to come back to alignment, to get back into order so that we can complete what's still incomplete. And that's why discipleship is so important, because we're trying to complete what's still incomplete. There's a work that still needs to be completed. That means I'm still incomplete. Now, watch this. Uh, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and obey it and repent. So remember what you've received. Remember what you've heard. Now, for you to wake up this morning, it might mean by, we, by the time we finish this meeting that you turn this, uh, turn this machine off and you get on your knees and you say, Father, forgive me. I have been like Jonah. I have run downstairs. I'm falling asleep. And I'm trying to shut off from the world because of how I feel. And God and God says, I know how you feel, but please, can we get past how you feel? And can we wake up to see what's what's uh, what's around us? I've, there's light for your time if you lean into it. Darkness does not have to suffocate you, folks. Let me say that again. Darkness does not have to suffocate you. There is light available. Now, watch what he says. Um, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come. I believe Jesus Christ is coming back again. I said, I believe Jesus Christ is coming back again and he will come at a time and he'll come at an hour that I do not know. But the point is, I must be ready. I must be found at my post. I must be serving my God, waiting for that moment, but doing, working like he's not coming back for another thousand years, but believing he can come back tonight. I must be ready. I must not be nonchalant. Though the world is in darkness, I have the light. I am a standard bearer. I am a torch bearer. I carry a flame. And if you put your torch out to mine and I put mine out to you, we should be able to ignite one another we should be able to pass the fire around in the great depression god almighty is going to move on the dream center why because the nation might be in a slumber but we must not be in a slumber and not watch this he says uh, in verse four yet you have a few people in the dream center you have a few people in the dream center who have not soiled their clothes. Thank God that there are some here in the house of God who have not soiled their clothes. Thank God there are some in Romania who have not soiled their clothes. Thank God God's got people who have not soiled their clothes. And it's not for me to say who they are and who they're not. It's up to you to know who you are. <coughs> Watch this. He says they will uh, who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me. A people who will walk with God are awake. He says, dressed in white, for they are worthy. God is looking for that company of people right now here in the Dream Center. A people who will walk with him. A people who will work with him. A people who are worthy to represent him and present the gospel for him. Oh, my God. God needs a people like that. And I'm talking to the only people I know right now is you, the Dream Center. And then he says this. 
he, she, they who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. So if you overcome this morning, your slumber, you too will become victorious. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name, her name, their name before my father and his angels. And then he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. We must have that ear. If you are asleep, you will not hear what God is saying. But if you're awake this morning, I implore you this morning through the spirit of God and through the mercies of God to incline your heart to what I'm saying. Don't think for one minute because you're on on Zoom this morning. You're walk you're walking in God. You're dressed in white. You're worthy. Only you know the condition of your heart. You know, when Jesus wanted to take the disciples up the mountain, it was ironic he only chose Peter, James and John. There was 12 disciples, but he only chose three. That means there was a different alertness, awakeness, a different desire, a different intensity, a different response, capacity, whatever you want to uh, phrase you want to use. There was something different that Peter, that, that God could take, or Jesus should say, Jesus could take three up the mountain and leave the others down there. Why didn't he take them all? Because they all had a destiny. They all served God, barring Judas, but yet he showed three his glory and the others had to wait. There was a, a group that didn't see what those three did. Now, here's the thing about a leadership. When a leadership tries to lead people, they look for the 12. But out of the 12, there's a three. Now, when the three you get taken up the mountain, the rest of the crowd think it's favoritism. It's not favoritism. There are some things you can show three that you can't show the rest. And the reason why that is because there's a different intensity and different desires and different love and different affection levels that we show. Now, I'm, I'm trying to take as many people as I can on that mountain, up that mountain. That's the shepherd's desire to take as many. Now, I'm not, I'm not showing you my glory because that's not something for me to show, right? If you can't see and, and see the light of God or the word of God. If you're not attracted to that, then I can't force that or sell that to you because it's not there. It's not tradable in that sense. But as a leader, as a pastor, been leading many of you now for many, many years. Some have decided to stay. No, it's OK. Take the three up the, up the mountain. And I thank God that there's a desire from the leader to see, to keep taking people up on the mountain. Yeah. I first must want to go up that mountain myself because I know at the top of that mountain, God's going to share something with us that's profound. So profound that Jesus said, don't share it with those down there. Keep quiet. And he told them, keep quiet. Now, when you take the three up there, there's things up there that they're going to see that they don't understand. But, you know, seeing, experiencing it is after battle. Now, all I can ask of you as a shepherd is as many hearing the sound of my voice that if you're not dedicated and, and, and uh, committed to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, then following anything or anyone is only going to be half hearted. Your relationship in Christ 
is your is your responsibility. My job is to lead. The following is yours. That's your decision to make. Following is not my is not mine. I have to follow him. That's my followership. And my leadership is to follow him. And in my following him, I will lead. Your followership is down to you. Love the God I love. Serve the God I serve. And I know many of you do. And that's it's beautiful to see. But I'm talking if there's anyone found in this slumber, it's wake up this morning and get back and make that journey up that mountain. Only you decide whether you want to go up that mountain or not. It's not my role to say you, you, you can come, but you can't. I want to take as many as I can. And I will keep on as long as God graces me to lead these good people of his. I will keep trying to take as many people up that mountain. You know, when you go up to Kilimanjaro or you go up to Mount Everest or whatever mountain it is, there are certain people who don't make the journey because they, because of altitude sickness. They might get the bends and then therefore they can't go any higher because the moment they go any higher, it would create a, uh, the brain to swell and they would die. So there are some people in the head who won't go any higher because they've said this is limitation. This is it, containment. But there are others who go up that mountain and say, hey, we started. We're going to go to the top. Now, when I, I often joke with Phil, when I climb um, Ben Nevis, now I can't climb any higher, any mountain higher than the one that's in Britain. And that's Ben Nevis. Now, it's, Phil says it's a walk. Well, walk or climb, whichever one you want to, to look at. I know that when I got up that mountain, halfway, I was tired. Halfway up there, I realized that the crew I was with was struggling. Now, this was no crusade. It was not a charity march. I was doing it for the people in the Philippines, not for the people who was with at the side of me. And I got to a point where I realized I've got to go on my own. And I realized that the crowd I was with was struggling. But I knew that I was doing this for people in the Philippines. So my cause became greater than the crowd. And I and I at that point, I pressed on. And I pressed on for the next hour and I got to the top and it was like and then I waited for him. And I was up. We all celebrated. Now, when I came down, I didn't come down with the crowd. I came down on my own. Why? Because coming down is a lot harder than going up. Believe me, if you've ever climbed something like that coming down is a very dangerous thing. You have to keep your footing. Going up is different muscles. You're leaning into the mountain. Coming down, you're trying to step back. And it's a very different technology uh, or strategy used, I should say. And I've come to realize that every man has to, every woman has to climb this mountain of the Lord themselves, willingly, sacrificially, wholeheartedly. Now, if we're going together, that's wonderful. But if at any time you stop and you say, no, I'm not coming, I'm slowing down. I can't stop. I still have to pursue the Lord on the top of that mountain. Moses, come up. And that's the call of God. And you say, well, what about the, the sheep he left behind? They weren't climbing mountains. That's a different that's a different context altogether. The point is, is when we're ascending the hill of the Lord to hear what the Lord has to say to us. We have to individually make that step. I have to be fully awake in my heart. And this week, each one of you will be make that journey up the mountain on your own. Will you set a time aside? Will you follow the Lord? Will you hear his voice? Will you hear the spirit say, come higher? That's the, the challenge for you and for me. So. Last scripture. 
because you know I have tons of stuff I can talk about. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to finish on this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. We can know the time that we live in. We can know the times we live in by walking in the Holy Ghost. We can know the times we're living in. We can know how to give our love and our affection properly, wisely, by walking in the Holy Ghost. This is the key, staying in the spirit, a life in the spirit. And this scripture says this. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Times and days. Times and days. Pick that up. There's times in the days. We must know the times in the days that we have. There's a time to do something in the days that God gives us. Now, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive and disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful and holy. We see that right across our society. Without love. Unforgiving, the slanderous. Without self-control, they're brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, pleasure, they're the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, and here we go, having a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And the warning says this, have nothing to do with them. You must know the people you're walking with. You must know the people you serve alongside. You must know their affections and you must know their desires. Common ground is a wonderful thing. Common ground is where we build friendships, where we build relationships, where we build a sense of chemistry. But if we can't move from purpose, if we can't move from common ground to common purpose, then be very careful of how long you walk with people. Because how can two walk together unless they agree? We must understand that if we're going to take this journey, we must know the crowd we're walking with. Because not everybody wants to go up the mountain. Some want to stay at the bottom and let you do all the work. Hey, tell us what it was like when you went. I'd much rather you have walked up the mountain and seen it for yourself. And this is the problem you find with so many Christians today that they want somebody else to do the work. One of the tragedies of Israel was this is when God brought the people to the mountain and the mountain began to shake and, and they, they, they heard the pillar, uh, the, so they heard the thunder. The people were frightened. And the first thing they said was, you speak to him for us. That was the tragedy of Israel's history, that they chose the pastor to speak for God to speak to the pastor and for the pastor to speak to God because they feared God more than they feared a Moses or a God speaking through Moses. The problem is the people will always do the will always operate by the law of the least effort. If you give people the opportunity, they will function by the law of the least effort. In other words, somebody do it for me. Somebody teach me this. Somebody show me this. And there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But not everything is the responsibility of somebody else. Though somebody has the capacity and the ability to show you, 
there is also a capacity and ability within you to learn, to dig deeper, to develop, to go higher, to go wider. And that's being called wake. That's that puts under the under the banner of being awake. So our challenge for us today is not to become like Jonah. Is not to become like Jonah. Jonah found himself disobedient. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the word of the Lord came. Now, the word of the Lord has come to you this morning. And but Jonah ran away in verse three of that Jonah one verse one. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed in a different direction. I wonder this morning, what which direction were you heading this morning after listening to this message? I would want an urge and desire for everyone to get on the knees and say, Father, I'm recommitting my life back to you today. If I've been found hiding, running, if I've been found giving my affections in the wrong area, Lord, I repent today and I'm coming back to you, Lord, and I'm saying, Father, let, can, I want to establish the love of God in my heart as the primary thing in my heart. Now, I want us just to bow our heads right now. I want us to pray as we're praying this. But like I say, when we get off this broadcast, you may want to just get on your knees and stay on your knees and say, Father, I want to dedicate my life. I want to I want to tell you that I love you, that I don't if I've if I've allowed anything in my heart during this lockdown period that has shut the light out and brought darkness in. Lord, I repent today. I don't want to be part of the Great Depression. I don't want to be part of the great slumber. Let it not be said of my house that in 2020 we entered the Great Depression and the Great Slumber. But let it be said in 2020 that my house was filled with light. And I found the light of the Lord. I found the love of the Lord. I found the joy of the Lord in the most difficult times. Life can be hard. But Lord, you are greater than, in, than the hardness. You are greater than the difficultness. So, Father, right now I bow my head before you and I bring my heart today. Heaven and earth is a witness to the last eight months. You have watched, you have observed how I have walked. You have watched and you have observed how I have felt. You have heard the cries. You've seen the sadness. You've seen, Lord, how I have, if I have fallen asleep and in what areas I have fallen asleep in. And I pray right now, Father, forgive me for any kind of slumber that has taken a hold of my spirit. Any kind of slumber that has taken hold of me mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, I cast off right now in the name of Jesus. I bring it to the knee to, to the knees of Jesus Christ and I submit it and I say, Father, forgive me for giving the room, for giving the enemy any any foothold in my life. Father, I declare today that you are my first love. I will not be found lying in the arms of Delilah. I will not be found getting up and doing life as usual and not realizing that the presence of God has left my tent. Oh, God, forgive me, Lord, if I've got up and tried to do business as usual without going out without the presence of God. Father, forgive me, oh, God, make me sensitive to me, the presence of God. Don't let me go about business the usual way, Lord. I don't want to shake things off the natural way. Lord, I want to do it the righteous way, the spiritual way, the only way. Holy Ghost, forgive me when I've pushed you away. 
Forgive me for putting you in the corner. Forgive me for picking you up and putting you down. Holy Ghost, I submit my life to you and to the Father's word. And I say, quicken my spirit today. Make me alive in Christ again today. Let me feel the touch of the Holy Spirit. Let that fire burn that once came in the 1930s. When in the great in the moment of the Great Depression and the Great Slumber, let the fire of God burn in my heart once again, Lord. Let it fill my home again, Lord. Let it fill me spiritually. So I can be on fire once again. So I will wake and I will not slumber. That I will not be found asleep in the moment, Lord, when the Spirit of God comes looking for his church. Lord, and I'm found asleep, Lord. I do not want you on the outside knocking on the door saying, here I am, stand on the door and knock. Lord, I want you in the house. I want you on the inside. So Holy Spirit, fill every part of my life this morning. And let your spirit of God, let the spirit of God consume me once again. Oh, my God. Let there be a shaking. Let there be an awakening in my heart. Let there be a shaking and awakening in my home. Let there be a shaking and awakening in my family. Oh, God. Forgive us if we've shut the presence of God out because there's been no church. Lord, you are the church. I am the church. My God. Let me build an altar once again in my heart for you. Submit to you. Let me bring an offering to you, O oh God, this very day. Let an offering of worship, an offering of affection, an offering of celebration. And I want to encourage you this morning, guys, that when when we turn this broadcast off, that you build an altar in your house and you offer God praise like you've not offered it in before. You give him something different, <coughs> something that your heart is desperate to give, something that the heart of God is desperate to receive. And I make my appeal this morning through the airways. And I trust that the Holy Spirit has ministered to your heart this morning. We will not be like we will not be like uh, Jonah. But we hear the cry that came from the captain and the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God and maybe maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And that same cry of the captain comes from the captain this morning or they should say the shepherd, the pastor of the church this morning. And they say, get up, wake up, call out on your God and maybe he will take notice of us this morning. I, I implore you through the spirit of God. Say, call on the name of your God this morning and may the presence of God richly fill your tent this morning in the name, by the name and through the name of Jesus. You know, Dave, uh, I'm going to ask you, David, can you play that video again for us? And let's just conclude this message this morning as we just go into worship with that song again. And maybe in this during this time, guys, build that altar. If we can do that. <clears throat> Oh, I
Amen, amen, amen. 